This is How to Read. I'm Milan. And I'm Olivia, the producer of this episode. Today we're talking with Paula Moya, a specialist in American literature with a focus on feminism, race, and ethnicity. This episode is about how to read arrogantly and how not to read arrogantly. The world doesn't revolve around you. Many children, and plenty of adults too, have heard this from parents, friends, or partners. It's easy, and kind of satisfying, to view others around you as minor characters in the drama of your life. But Paula Moya wants us to recognize that this arrogant self-centeredness can lead people to believe that everyone else is just there to serve them. Paula argues that Toni Morrison's novel, A Mercy, not only depicts harmful arrogance among its characters, but also teaches readers to be less arrogant in their own lives. Paula Moya, welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So we are going to talk about how to read arrogantly, how not to read arrogantly, what it means to read arrogantly. So I guess, first of all, in what sense are you understanding arrogance? What does that mean for you? Okay, well, it's a way of perceiving another that uh, organizes the world and organizes everything that happens in the world, including the other person's behavior re- in relationship to oneself. Hmm. So, it's quite a selfish way of um, yes. interacting or like thinking about other people. Yes, exactly. Just taking for granted that the world is organized in this way. But uh, the point is, is that you don't actually perceive the other person as a separate being. As not yeah, like a full you, human being, as a in full themselves. human being in themselves, with their own interests, their own desires, their own plans for living, and this is kind of typical of humans that we tend to organize the world in terms of ourselves, and other people come into and out of that world only marginally, and they really only exist kind of as minor characters in our world. Yeah, and so uh, so the the hard thing for all of us is to think of all those beings out there as the protagonists of their own lives. And then you realize like how many lives uh, there are. I mean, sometimes I'll be walking along and I'll see all these people out there and I'll remind myself that I'm not the only being, <laughs> you know, that yeah. they all have their own lives out there. Yeah, like they're all the main characters they're of their the own lives. They're all the main characters of their own lives, yeah. We might only be very minor characters exactly. in Exactly, in fact, we are very minor yeah. characters, yeah. So this is actually a concept that I came to or was introduced to um, through the philosopher Maria Lugones, her account of uh, perceiving her mother arrogantly. And the stories that she tells are about her father's arrogant perceptions of her mother. Now, there's a way in which a young woman can turn against her mother and then treat the mother in a similar way to the father. So, you know, expecting that you a mother doesn't actually exist except to raise you or to be available for you. She was picking up on a concept that she had gotten from a, another philosopher by the name of Marilyn Fry. Marilyn Fry is this wonderful feminist uh, philosopher, and she had developed this whole idea of er- the arrogant eye. Yeah, um... Shall I pour you some tea, actually? Is this... Actually, I would love some. Okay. I think it's probably... <laughs> it's looking... So with, with both of those, um, 
they're not about sort of reading fiction. They're more about real life um, arrogance or judgments in real life. Is yes, right? they're they're for uh, Marilyn Fry. She was she was really talking about how men perceive women. So this was very much a feminist uh, argument. I think what Maria Lugones did in talking about how she perceived her own mother arrogantly, then we understand that it is really um, a, a performance of dominance, a performance of power, a performance of not wanting to be, um, you know, uh, subordinate. So yeah, so that's really interesting. Well, each of those examples seems interestingly different. So we've got sort of men and women where the the sort of like social norms already are kind of like um, putting men in a position of power and dominance, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, but then the example of Maria Lugones, um, it's her relationship to her mother, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where is, is she an adult at the point where she's having this arrogant relationship? Or is... uh, probably not. No. Maybe okay. still, you know, an, uh, an adolescent, a teenager. Um, just so getting... she's not necessarily in a position of power then? No, but perhaps imagining oneself into a position of, pow of power, which is really what uh, arrogant perception is about. So uh, Fry gives a very good example. I don't know if you want me to pick out a passage. Sure. So she says... Um, the arrogating perceiver is a believer that everything exists and happens for some purpose, and he tends to animate things, imagining attitudes toward himself as animating motives. Everything is either for me or against me. But so for me or against me, like either people are there to kind of like help and support me or they're my enemies. Exactly. Either exactly. of those is quite an arrogant Yes. Um, attitude i can see that so that's probably a bit abstract but basically it's the attitude that sees a stone uh, that you trip over as hostile okay so like a stone doesn't have those kinds of animating motives uh generally we don't think of stones as having animating motives but if ever if you are uh organizing everything in the world according to your own self then it's then it becomes a bad object if it mm -hmm. interferes in any way with like your plans. And so the idea here, it, if you're thinking about it in gender terms, is um, you know a man who expects his uh, spouse or wife or mother to like have dinner ready when he comes home. If she doesn't, or if she burns the rice or does anything like this, then she's bad. You know, this is a... Um, a dynamic that I was uh, that I could recognize very much in literature, right? Mm, so, for instance, mm. uh, Toni Morrison's *A Mercy*, um, where she's talking about. So, who, is this a, a novel? This is a novel, a novel by Toni Morrison, and um, I think that concern with how to uh, perceive others as full human beings is one that runs throughout all of Morrison's. Uh, you know, body of work, like for slavery, where where it's impossible for the slaver to perceive his slaves as full human beings who maybe don't want to, you know, be enslaved. And, I mean, and almost be, by definition, Yes, right? exactly. Like... <laughs> right. So, I mean, the only way you can do that to another human being is to not perceive them yeah. as a full human being. Yeah. Either that or you're just a monster, you know. <sighs> yeah. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, we've been talking so far mostly about about you know relationships between men and women, mm -hmm. um, and maybe also sort of family relationships. So, how does this idea of kind of perceiving arrogantly, reading arrogantly, how does that work in relation to race? 
I mean, for me, a mercy is really about how race came into being in this country. Um, because she sets the novel at a time when race was just beginning to sort of coalesce and to like solidify and have the meanings it currently has in this country. Okay. What, what period are we talking about? Uh, well, it's about 1690. Okay. So like early American yes, sort of... Right. I mean, the slave trade has been uh, going on. You know, there, there, uh, people do own slaves. One of the things she does in that novel is to uh, distribute narrative uh, attention across a range of characters. So there's a, a, okay. a, a main so the character. focuses on different characters at different times? Yes. There's something like seven or eight characters who orient the narrative. So in a way, you get to perceive the world from the perspective of these different characters. And there's one character in A Mercy that I'm particularly fascinated with, and it's a character by the name of Sorrow. And Sorrow, like Sorrow. the word, yeah. Yes, Sorrow, okay. the word, yes. And Sorrow is very interesting because we don't really know very much about her. And you get many different characters' perception of Sorrow before you get Sorrow's. Uh, Morrison is giving you all these other people's perceptions of her and then giving her perception of herself. But uh, what's particularly interesting is all the different characters uh, really dislike her. Uh, they uh, say mean things about her. They describe her as, uh, as loose and ugly and just, you know, the, the, a range of descriptors that make her seem like she's not that smart, uh, a little crazy. But it's not until we get to her chapter where she's describing her own world and what she uh, wants out of it, that you realize that she, she, she's not fitting for them because she's not organizing her life for them. She's organizing her life for her. And there's yeah. nothing wrong with that, except that everybody has decided that she She should, should. be doing things for them. Right. She should be right. existing for them. Exactly. And so then when she doesn't do what they want her to do, then they describe her as bad. And then at a certain point, she has a baby. And um, this is a very important moment for her because she renames herself. And so she names herself complete. Okay. And then she organizes her time and she organizes her tasks with respect to the needs of her baby. And this is not, you know, this is makes perfect sense unless you are perceived by others as a slave who should be taking care of your master's chores before you, you know, go anywhere else. And it's really a lovely narrative arrangement that Toni Morrison creates in a mercy to make the point that people don't exist for others, that they exist for themselves. Um, so what, how, how do you experience that as a reader then? Like, are you, do you as a reader, um, are you also initially encouraged to kind of judge her with that arrogant eye until you get to her own perspective? I think so. I think it's a way of teaching the reader that there are going to be uh, various views, but you don't even get closer to the truth of the situation until you take into account someone's uh, own understanding of their situation. It's teaching us more generally how to read both a novel as well as how to read the world. And I think for Morrison, how to read race. 
you know, so how do you look out at others and perceive them? And what are your attitudes about them? And have you thought about what life is like from their perspective? She starts out a mercy with uh, asking the reader if the reader can read. So the first page, right? She says, you know, I know you know. One question is, who is responsible? Another question is, can you read? So this is a challenge that Toni Morrison is uh, throwing at the reader, and she's making quite clear that at stake for her is the idea of how well a person can read. And for Morrison, it's never just like read a book. It's like read the world. Yeah, so do you want a little more tea? Sure. Thank you. So since, um, since you know, starting to think about kind of uh, perceiving arrogantly, reading arrogantly, mm-hmm. has it helped you to understand experiences in your own life in a different way? Like um, moments, I guess, either where you've uh, sort of perceived somebody else arrogantly and then realized your mistake, or maybe mm-hmm. somebody else perceived you arrogantly and you sort of were able to understand what was happening? Sure, uh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, I, it's, I mean, I think when I started to read Fry and Lugones, and uh, uh, I think I started to understand the way in which I was perceiving my own children arrogantly. Oh, like, it's okay. hard sometimes as a parent, or at least I was a very young mother, to really see them as beings separate from myself. And I'm probably still guilty of it at times. I, I'm actually glad to be revisiting this so that I can remind myself <laughs> <laughs> that they are beings separate from me and yeah. that their desires and their interests and their wishes for their own lives might not be mine. Yeah. And I need to just chill out and let them be, you know, um, because I actually do love them very much. And so uh, loving them has to actually enact that, which is understanding the way in which I can help them with their projects, but I can't design their projects for them. So that's one way that it has helped me. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I think you've made me, you've persuaded me this is a good way of kind of like thinking about the world and thinking about how I perceive other people, how I think other people perceive me. And also, yeah, when I'm reading, I think I'm going to be very aware of like, yeah, how am I perceiving these characters? What judgments am I making? You know, do I know what their self-understanding is? Right. So, And how else might you perceive them? What else might be going on? Yeah. yeah. Paula Moya, thank you very much. Well, thank you. That's it for this episode. For links to books mentioned in our discussion, plus further reading, visit our website, howtoreadpodcast.com. You can also listen to a bonus clip about how Toni Morrison's novel Sula depicts a character who's perceived arrogantly by her husband, as well as by her best friend. To hear about our latest episodes and news, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at HowToReadNow. This episode was produced by me, Milan Talunen, and by me, Olivia Branscombe, with editorial assistance from Colby King and Sam Wilcox. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. Special thanks to Columbia University for its support, and thank you for listening.